Welcome to the Gathering Place Church weekly podcast. We hope today's message ignites, equips, and challenges you to live out your Christian faith and to bring healing to a broken world. I love the sensitivity that we're moving in this morning. And today as we open the scriptures, we're talking about a a subject of what we've just saying today, that there's no movement, no ideology that rivals against Jesus, no um, doctrine, dogmas that Jesus does not reign, that he does not sit on the throne. Aren't you thankful today in a world, in a culture who says, listen to your flesh, Listen to your cravings. Listen to your appetites. That those are not God. Jesus is Lord. He gives us his Holy Spirit today. And as we allow the Holy Spirit to sober us, what you're going to find, and this is really as we're in a series. Last week was Pentecost Sunday. We're in a series called Walking in the Spirit. Show of hands today. Who wants to walk in the Spirit? Who wants to walk deeper in the Spirit? Well, it's not for the faint of heart. And narrow as the road may be, I'll follow where your spirit leads, as we sang this morning. And if you are available today, we then go to the scripture to say, Jesus, you have revealed yourself. You have revealed your ways, your word, your life. And we're so thankful that everyone has a different path to get to Jesus. Some of us are completely lost, hurting, and broken, and marred. But when Jesus finds us, we then, in the presence of Jesus, say, now there is only one way to the Father. That he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. We've been saying sermons don't change people, Jesus does. And my goal today is to get you to Jesus. Not to get you to some fictitious version of Jesus, but to get you to the Jesus of the living word of God. I almost begin to weep there because when you think of what is happening in our culture, what is happening in our world, seeing our children here in God's house, loving, worshiping, being fed and taught the word of God, that aren't you thankful that your children, that there's still places your kids can come to and be safe? There's, kids, there's places which should be preeminently the house of God that they can come to and be fed and taught a biblical worldview. These are the things that are under attack. If you were to look out this door over here, you would see your kids having the time of their life on a big water slide today. And what I want you to get in your spirit today is we address some of these things Know my pastor's heart. I have sat face-to-face with people who've struggled with same-sex attraction and have counseled them in the Word of God. And I want to say this, too, as some of the subject matter we'll be discussing. I'm, I'm aware we have visitors here today, and we're so thankful that you're here. But take a deep breath, because we're going to just get into God's Word. This is not Pastor Garrett's opinions. This is the Scripture and the Word of God. And if you have kids that are in here still that are under 14, parents, you go off of your judgment, um, but we will be discussing some things along the lines of same-sex attraction. So um, if they want to go and hang out with the GPC kids, they're more than welcome. 
But I was thankful that I went to a, a, a youth conference when I was 13, 14, where these topics came up to help me understand and navigate with friends in my high schools that struggled with these things and able to understand what the Word of God says. Because here's the thing, and here's where our world and why the church has gone silent. Because when you step out of here and go into Monday, you're going to face all of these cultural issues. But for some reason, the church decides to get silent because it gets controversial, because it gets messy, it gets a little sticky, it gets a little uncomfortable. But hear my heart today, I'm not, we're not, we're never given license to hate the person. But can we go after ideologies that keep people enslaved, keep people bound, keep people oppressed? Because we are in a world today that elevates pride. And, and if you look at the scriptures, specifically 1 Corinthians 13, this is basic 101 Christianity. Love is not proud. It is not proud, but we are in a world today that says love is very proud. And this is not God's heart, and this is not God's intent. And I love you enough as a church not to stay silent in these things. But here my heart is my goal is to pastor you, not to clobber you with the word of God. So I want to pastor you, but I also don't want to say, because you have a fundamental camp that is bent toward clobbering, but then you have a progressive camp that it is just a slippery slope to do whatever you want and whatever you feel. But we need a pastor. We need to teach. We need kids to know the reason why we talk about these things, not just, oh, don't do that. That's ungodly. Kids are smart. We live in the information age. If you're not teaching it, they're Googling it. Okay, so as we have our kids out learning the word of God, we had a wonderful VBS. Kids came to Christ. Um, my son Daniel was here. Seeing him now in that place of getting to see his life change, it takes on a whole different, um, a whole different understanding when now my own kids are in these spaces. And uh, it's a joy to preach God's word to you today. But I don't want you to come in. If you have a differing opinion or a differing view, or maybe you haven't heard the scripture taught in this way, refer your judgment till the end. That's all I'm asking. And allow the word of God to pastor you today. Because I love people, and I hate what the enemy has done to enslave people. And his biggest way he enslaves is always through deception. The scriptures say that our spiritual enemy, Satan, will appear as an angel of light always deceptive. There are deceptive doctrines at work to keep generations of your family enslaved, to keep our institutions indoctrinating, not educating. But the word of God has a better word today. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much as we open the scriptures. God, take my humble approach toward your word. I come before you in lowliness and humility. My heart is to shepherd this church, to shepherd the 200 students we educate and we pastor on a weekly basis here. God, as I look to the future of the growth of this vision, this house, this purpose, God, we believe you want to touch those with same-sex attraction, those who are struggling with homosexuality, that you love them, you have a plan for them and a future for them. Father, and as a church, we choose to fight for freedom, for deliverance, for redemption, 
for family, for faith, and for the future generations. God, let us not stay quiet where the scriptures give us truth, where the scriptures give us life. We love you, Lord. We submit to your word, to your lordship today. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Well, you can be seated, and again, if you're a visitor here today, welcome, and pray you sense the Holy Spirit here, who is our greatest teacher. So our guiding scripture throughout this series is Galatians 5.16. We talked of it last week. If you put it on the screen, it says this. It says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not think, do the things that you wish. See, my heart is, as a Spirit-filled church, is that we don't just limit the Holy Spirit to a feeling, to a symbol of the Spirit, which is water, flame, and oil, a dove. But we understand when we see scriptures like this, the Spirit of God sobers you to walk in the Spirit. It doesn't say you'll never be tempted. It doesn't say you'll never have to war against the passions, cravings, and appetites of your flesh. And we live in a a world today, a culture, and even what breaks my heart, a church that is put doctrines and teachings in to appease these cravings of our flesh. And understand today that in cravings of sexual immorality, it's not just homosexuality, but if, in, if you're a heterosexual, right, there is still sexual immorality at play. There are still guidelines and boundaries and commands of, of where sex is to be experienced in the context between one man, one woman, and holy matrimony. Say amen. You got to talk to me today. This is BBS Sunday. Come on, you should be lively and preaching your pastor down. Not allowed to be quiet today. If you're quiet, I assume you're listening and you're taking notes, okay? We talked of last week that a touch of Jesus sets you free, but the teachings of Jesus keep you free, right? When we're in a place of worship, we feel his presence, we feel his touch, but then we have to sit and we have to be taught by him. We have to grow in him. We have to be guided by the scriptures. And it's in renewing your mind, that's how you walk, and that's how you maintain deliverance. You've got to consistently be renewing your mind. It's not a one-time thing. But you've got to, when you experience your deliverance of sin, when you've been born again, when you've been given a new nature, you now then have to be formed. And many of the problems of a generation that is now coming up who are adults they are a, a byproduct of how they were formed. And everyone, regardless of if you want to believe it or know it, you've been formed in some way. And so the best way to form is with the word of God, right? Is with a biblical worldview. And here's the joy we have as parents, is we are gonna screw up, we are gonna mess it up, we are not gonna get it right 100%. But we have scripture that does get it right every day of the week. And so we have to be, as we've talked about We can't be enslaved in perpetual immaturity. The scriptures call us to mature. The scriptures and the word of God call us to grow up in him. And many of us, it's easy to stay comfortable. It's easy to stay mature because we don't have to wrestle. 
And in my opinion, if there's not something you hear from me every week that you don't have to walk out where it touches something in the scriptures or you don't have to walk out and wrestle, because it's in the wrestling where change happens. If I just blow hot air and just inspire you every week, you're never going to change. Statistics will show us in a Barna research that if you were to ask, it was a, 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 a pretty broad spectrum, 40 to 70% of people, are you a Christian? 40 to 70% of people would say yes. But if you would begin honing in, well, if you call yourself a Christian, are you regularly attending church? If you call yourself a Christian, do you read your Bible? Do you worship? Do you actually practice your faith? Do you walk your faith out? And staggeringly enough, if there were close to 70% of people that say they were a Christian, then our country should be in a much different position. So we clearly know that what it means to be a Christian has completely changed, and now you have so many variations and nuances and understandings of what it means to follow Jesus. Many will say, my faith is reserved for Sunday for an hour and a half, and what happens in the walls of the church stays there, and then I go live my life but we've got to get what happens in the word, what happens in the church into every avenue and aspect of our lives, especially our homes and how we uh, train and raise our children. I love this proverb, Proverbs 29, 23. It says, a man's pride will bring him low, but the, the humble in spirit will retain honor. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Always a great reminder. I love what the church father, St. Augustine of Hippo says. He says, it was pride that turned angels into devils, but it is humility that turns men as angels. Are you catching the principle here? We've got to understand what pride is. Pride is not a virtue to be celebrated, but it is a vice to be repented of. It's not a virtue to be celebrated, but a vice to be repented of. As you walk out of here, as you turn on any news channel, you're going to be met with having to process as a Christian through a biblical lens, through a biblical worldview, what do you do with males in female sports? What do you do with cancel culture? Because the minute you begin to speak into these things or bring a, bigot, bring a biblical approach, you will be met with being labeled a bigot. You will be met with being labeled or being canceled. And so there is a spirit that is at work, and I like to say everything I'm talking about today, these are old demons, but there are new days. You can go back to 2 Kings, and you can see the spirit of Jezebel, which is a controlling spirit, or you can go to the, um, and look at the character in the story of 2 Kings is Ahab, who is a passive spirit. And when a controlling spirit and a passive spirit meet, you get a lot of the mess we see today, and I challenge you to see these through the lens of Elijah and 2 Kings, because these were the same demons, demonic spirits, that were being dealt with. We understand today that there is an agenda. There is ideologies at work to deconstruct the faith of Jesus Christ, the faith of the church. And again, this is not against people. These are against the lies of the enemy and these are against demonic teachings. I like this because you've got to understand where I come from, of growing up here in the church, of being blessed with leaders who spoke into my life, many of you here today. Um, the way that I've seen our church consistently love people 
through decade after decade after decade, but not compromise the truth. And I don't want us to take a U-turn or make a turn because of societal and cultural pressure to not speak life into these issues, to not see people. I, I, I refuse to be a church that says, come as you are and stay as you are. Because when you come with whatever mess that is going on in your life, you should be able to experience redemption, deliverance, healing. You should get truth of how you tame your passions, your cravings, your appetites. That it's not just a free pass, or it's not just, here's some grace to ease your conscience. Now, there is grace, but you can't abuse grace. It can't be this hyper-greasy grace that is just, you throw it over, but you never really get to understand that grace is empowerment to win against sin. Grace is empowerment to win against sin. I put this thought down a while ago, and this is in regards to education, because you got to understand, in my world, a big part of what we do here is educating children. So we're always thinking of how can we do it better? How can we be ahead of the game? How can we prepare and insulate our school to address these issues, to address these things that are coming down the pipeline? And I would like to say, too, about our school, and I, I honor Kathy in this, is we see that private Christian education costs money. If you send your kids here, you're like, yes, I know. I get that. It's, it's a small mortgage to send multiple kids here. But what I, I thank God for Kathy is she has um, walked through the accreditation process of our school. And we've also been one of the uh, forerunners in going after school choice. And in this school choice bill, it's essentially trying to get where the tax dollars you pay, you can choose how you want to spend those tax dollars, whether it's in public education or private education. So our heart is not to just go after one little small demographic, but say, let's give parents the choice to use the taxes they pay of how they can send their kids and give them an opportunity like ZCA where they're being educated in math and in science with a biblical worldview, not indoctrinated with LGBTQ plus uh, sex ideology. So I'm praying that as our school takes a stand and as our school helps uh, create a pathway for parents that we can see exponential growth in our school and see amazing life change. We're interviewing uh, staff and we're, um, as, as I talk to our teachers, I'm so proud of them for the, uh, the stand that they take. You gotta understand too that teachers don't make a lot of money. So they're put in these environments. Our kindergarten teacher, um, we had kindergarten graduation this week, Ms. Combs and uh, Ms. Moronis, just seeing how at kindergarten, how they know their scriptures, how they know um, their math, all of these, these things, it, it's deep within them. It's not something that's just memorized, but it's revelation to them. And so I put this down, and, and I pray that you can hear the heart in it. It's this, if we don't educate our children with the Bible, our spiritual enemy Satan will indoctrinate our children with the LGBTQ sex religion. The devil is after your family, and the narcissistic, again, we're talking ideologies here, so do not put this on a face or a person. The LGBTQ plus sex religion is one of self-love, self-worship, and self-expression. It is after the innocence of kids. It is after manipulating and brainwashing the minds of your kids to establish their sex religion as the supreme God. Where your kid, at the most extreme, will cut their body parts to change their gender, 
pervert God's design for sexuality, we also see as parents that it's our job, say it's my job, to protect our children from these ideologies, from the LGBTQ plus sex religion, that is after indoctrinating your children to pervert their God-given sexuality by becoming homosexual, to butcher body parts, and rejecting their God-given gender. Sex education in schools is the Bible, and drag queens are the kids' pastors of the LGBTQ sex religion. It takes on a little different approach when you look at it this way. This is no longer about love, love, and love, but what the next generation will look like and who our children will become. What will our churches and cultures look like? Will they honor God and submit to his ways, or will they worship the God of self-love and the demonic God of pride? So I pray that we see at a very extreme level, because you have to understand it doesn't happen all at once. This is where you get into even how grooming takes place. It happens at a very young age. It happens, you see these horrific videos of drag queens in a library at reading hour, and you see these young children coming up and even touching them. You see just complete... um, It's like, where are the parents in this? But when you peel back the curtain, parents many a times are the ones saying it's okay. And so I don't put the responsibility on the child. I put the responsibility on the parent. And so as parents, we've got to do better. We've got to be better. And here's the thing. If you teach in a public school, if you're sending your kids in a public environment, my encouragement to you is you've got to be vigilant. What did COVID do for us? When your kids were on a Zoom, phone, a Zoom call, you got an inside window of what your children were learning, what was going on behind the scenes. So I pray if your kids are in these environments, I grew up here in ZCA um, up to eighth grade, and I spent my high school in a public high school environment. So I've seen both worlds, um, but you've got to be vigilant, and you've got to be ahead of the game. Because if you're not, somebody else is. All right, where are we at? Put this down. We got to understand that this is a spiritual war. You've got to handle this at the level of the spirit. Because if you don't, you're not going to gain any ground. We're faced every day with political world, sexual war, educational war, parental world, war, and cultural war. We have to handle and deal things and process through things of what is a birthing person, who is a pregnant people, people who menstruate, and gender pronouns. This is a lot of the conversation that's taking place in our greater culture. So what do we do with this? How do we understand it? How do we operate in it? And here's my bottom line, if I can say this as plain as anything. Anytime a child is in a sexualized environment, it is not entertainment, it's grooming. Anytime a child is in a sexualized environment, it is not entertainment, it is grooming. If you want to get into where, is, where are these movements funded, look at American corporations. If you were to study into Disney and you were to look up the Disney content director, the Disney content director who gives the thumbs up of what you see on Disney Plus um, has a two kids under 10, both one is non-binary and one is pansexual. So she is creating content and managing content that is catered to that community. If you get into 
everything happening, even um, with Bud Light. I'm sure you've seen this. You see the $15 billion, I think it is, that they've lost. You see this trans woman, um, I'm saying that right. You see, uh, I think his name is Dylan. Not only is he dressed up as a woman, but he's dressed up as a young child. And when you look at his social media profiles, you would see he caters toward young girls under the age of 12. You can look in the UK um, where uh, there was a cricket tournament and there was a trans man playing cricket, swinging a cricket paddle uh, with, under, with uh, girls under the age of 12, and this was a middle-aged man. So you see all of these environments that have been so overrun and polluted with this ideology. And if parents don't wake up, if we don't wake up to these things and say, no, we believe in a biblical worldview, and we're going to stand in the gap for our kids and not be okay with these things. Now, when Christians aren't okay with things, it doesn't mean we're hateful. It doesn't mean we play the same path as um, what's on the other side. But we've got to understand that you see all throughout the Bible, you look at the sons of Issachar, they knew the signs of the times, and they acted accordingly. So do we have to today. So we've got to be aware of these things. You know, you see too, and again, this is, this is my thing about it, is if these Target, Coles, these corporations actually cared about the community they say they cared about, um, really all they're doing is using that community for money. It's all a bottom line and it's all money. You can even see, I believe it was Volkswagen. I saw an article yesterday that on their Twitter page, their American Twitter page, they changed their logos to pride colors. But you would see on their Middle Eastern Twitter pages, no pride colors. And when you look at even the hypocrisy within these, you have to ask the question, now I wonder why they wouldn't celebrate pride in Middle Eastern countries. Because it would be a much different response because Americans, Christians especially, are kind, are forgiving, you know, the, who we are, it gets weaponized and used against us because we're loving, kind, we actually care about people, right? And so we can't get into the trenches on these things, but we have to understand that Ephesians 6.12, let's be reminded today, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, against authorities of the unseen world, and against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits. So we got to understand we're fighting, that this is a war, that Christianity is always at war. We've got to understand how to wield the weapons God gives us and how we're to use them. Because the enemy is deceiving, he is enslaving, and he has no regard for their eternity. Got to understand these are eternal issues. I don't care about being on the right side of history. I care about being on the right side of eternity. And this is, has to be the most loving thing we can do is say, hey, let's be good Bereans and study the scriptures of what this says. Let's sit down and talk through things and understand that you are created in the image of God and Satan can't stand it. So he will do everything he can to disturb your image to distort your image, to castrate your image, 
and to get you in a place of where you are so confused that you have no idea what is up and down and what is from left and what is right. So I want to give you, and uh, as we get to the closing of the message today, I want to give you six points today, and you can take notes. Um, we'll get these out in an email to you if you want to study the scriptures a little deeper. But we're going to go quick. We're going to dive in, and I want to give you six things of where we see about homosexuality in the scriptures. You ready for it today? You okay? Yes, okay, good. So number one, homosexuality is not God's intention for sexual expression. Homosexuality is not God's intention for sexual expression. Genesis 2.24, we see this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. One man, one woman, in marriage, one flesh. Hebrews 13.4, marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. The marriage bed, the union of marriage, is meant to be kept honorable. Number two, homosexual practice brought disastrous judgment on the city of Sodom and Gomorrah in the Bible. Well, pastor, that's Old Testament. And don't you know that I heard from a professor that it was about hospitality, not homosexuality. Well, let's look to what the New Testament has to say about Sodom and Gomorrah. Can we do that? Yes. Okay, here we go. So it says in Jude 1.7, As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as a what? As an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So throughout the New Testament, Sodom and Gomorrah is given to us as an example of when you engage in these inflamed passions of homosexuality. Genesis 19, 4 through 6, where Sodom and Gomorrah is mentioned, it says, Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter, so this mob of men and women gather, and they uh, approach the house of Lot, where we see, and they said to them, Where are the men who came to you tonight? These were two angels. And what did they want to do to these angels? It says, Bring them out to us so that we may know them carnally. See homosexuality right here. This was how debased the city of Sodom and Gomorrah was. Second Peter 2.6, it says, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them as a what? As an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. You know, when you think about homosexuality, I looked up some statistics it says that 80% of AIDS victims are homosexuals. The average age of a homosexual man who dies of AIDS is 39. A gay man is three times more likely to have an alcohol and drug abuse. So you can see from a lifestyle perspective even, it does not promote healthy, abundant, flourishing life. So we've got to just look at the statistics of our culture and see that it does not promote a healthy, abundant lifestyle. So we understand we even see a bit of judgment in the present, but we also understand that the Scripture says that those who practice these things, all types of sexual immorality, 
says it won't inherit the kingdom of God. This is how important this is. This is an eternity issue. Number three, it's condemned as an abomination in the Bible. Leviticus 18.22 says, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Leviticus 20.13, it says, if a man lies with a male and he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. So you can see in the way of where these issues of homosexuality, how it was handled even in the Old Testament. So we not only see that the Bible prohibits homosexual relationships, but it actually prohibits six other types of sexual relationships. The Bible teaches us that you're not to have sex with your parents, with children, with siblings, with another spouse, with animals, and with dead people. So the Bible is very clear about these things, not because it wants to take something from you, but these are behaviors that will not bless you and ultimately honor God. And when you see the slippery, the slippery slope we're on, when you get into pedophilia, you get into rape, incest, these things, this is the slippery slope that this movement heads into. There's already talk you can see of where pedophilia is looking to be decriminalized, where it's looking to be just a slap on the wrist. It is mental health. And so you've got to see where these things head and where these things go. And it's not pretty what's on the other side. So you've got to know the truth. You've got to know what God's word says or you'll fall for the sentiment of the moment or the emotion of the moment. Number four, homosexuality is rooted in the fallen nature. It's rooted in fallen nature. Romans 1.26 says this. It says, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. Hear this, though. He gave them up. He did not give up on them. God does not give up on anybody. God does not give up on anybody who struggles with homosexuality. God is chasing them. God loves them. God wants to see their freedom in their life. And as a church, we believe for the freedom of anybody who is sexually bound. Homosexual, heterosexual, you name it. We believe that God can deliver and touch and heal and set free. Amen? So it says that God gave them up to these things. For even women exchanged the natural use for what was against nature, lesbianism. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the women burned in their lust for one another. You've got to see that at the root of where this is because many times we judge fruit, right? But you've got to go to the root. Where do these things come? We all have lusts that are burning within us. And if they are not tamed, if they are not submitted to the Holy Spirit, you will give in to the lusts of your flesh. This is why we read the reading in Romans 8 this morning of how the, the, the spirit and the flesh war against each other. You've got to choose today to say, I'm going to walk in the Spirit, not give in to the lusts of the flesh. So it says that likewise, it says, as they burn in their lusts with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Here's the thing. We can't exchange the truth of who God is for a lie. Can't exchange it. And here's the thing. When we suppress something, we then can't go off what God's word says. We have to exchange it, and then we all have our own truth. We all have our own morality. 
we walk away from God's truth and we say, I have a truth. This is how I feel. This is what, how I want to express myself. And if you don't love me, if you don't accept me, then now you don't love me. Right? So we live in a world today that says you have to accept me, and if you don't accept me, therefore you don't love me. Again, this is not what love is. Even the movement will say that love is love. No, God is love. God created love, and he teaches us what love is. It is so pure and beautiful, and the most adventurous, exciting thing you will ever experience in your life when you experience his love. But we have a generation that does not know the love of God. And we've got to understand that it's the presence of God. It is the Holy Spirit that will draw a generation to him. And this is where we've got to get young people in the presence of God. It was in my journey of high school and everything you have to navigate through. If I did not have the presence of God, I don't know where I'd be today. And a good parent, a good church will get young people in the presence of God like we saw at VBS this week. So God does not give up on us. He gives us over. He respects your free will. Aren't you thankful that God respects you enough? He doesn't force himself on you. He is not a tyrant towards you. He is a good father. But even as he gives you up, his heart is broken and hurting and is longing to see you healed, is longing to touch you again. And then if you would allow him to teach you, it's powerful when we submit to him as Lord. You know, you see this as we close. Corey, Bree, if you guys would help me. If you read Genesis 2 and 3, you would see that God is referred to not just as God, but Lord God. And as the temptation uh, came to the scene of to eat of the fruit, you would see um, where Satan said, did God really say, not did the Lord God really say. When Satan gets involved in, in tempting you, he always diminishes the authority of God. He will try to remove the lordship of who God is in your life and say, go by what you feel, go by your cravings, your appetites. This is why it's even um, resembled as fruit because it's something you eat. It's something you crave. We said last week, lust is like an itch. It tells you if you itch it, it will go away, but it only gets worse. So we've got to understand that in the temptation of all of this, don't scratch it, don't give in to it. I want to say this too, is that, as hard as this may sound, but let me hear, give me a chance to explain this. You cannot be gay and a Christian at the same time, but let me explain. What you can be is a Christian who is struggling against homosexuality, just like a Christian who is struggling against pornography. You're warring against it. You're saying, this is not who I am. I am not going to give in to this temptation. But when you say a gay Christian, it's almost as though it is an oxymoron because I cannot be a hateful Christian. My identity is not bound in my sexuality. It is bound in who God says I am. It is bound in Christ, not my sexual orientation, how I feel, what I think. It's in Christ. So when you call yourself a Christian, you add nothing more and you add nothing less. I follow Jesus. And because I follow Jesus, because he's given me a new nature, well, pastor, I was born this way. I was born gay. We hear this. 
Jesus says you have to be born again. Every single one of us, we have to be born again. So even in the argument of I was born this way, brother, you still have to be born again. Just like I do, just like all of us do. We have to make a decision to say, this is fallen nature. This is sin. I now put on Christ a new nature. I have a new name. I have a new way of living. And here's the thing. I understand how vicious as I've counseled, as I've heard stories, as I've sat across from, from men and women in tears on these issues. It is vicious and it comes hard. But if you can hear me, you've got to keep fighting. You've got to stand strong. You've got to understand that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, that if you get in the presence of God, if you keep yourself in the scriptures, you will have exactly what you need to fight it to not give in to it, to not itch it. You've got to deal with the root, not the fruit here. And the root is thick in our culture. But don't give in to the lie. Lastly, as hard as this is, homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Again, we want no one to perish. Jesus doesn't. As a pastor, I don't want anyone to perish. I want everyone to get to heaven. But we've got to understand that there's many ways to get to Jesus, but there's only one way to the Father. It says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, Drunkards, rivalers, extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Timothy 1, 9 through 10, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and the insubordinate, for the ungodly and for the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there's any other thing that is contrary to what? To sound doctrine. Anything that is contrary to the word of God. This is why he gives us his commands. They are not burdensome, but he sets us free. And then he teaches us how to live free with his commandments. Look at the people of Israel. When they got out of slavery and into the wilderness, yes, they were set free, but then they needed the law to, of how to live free. I'm telling you, you can't do this in your own strength. You can't wage war against the enemy in your own strength. It has to be that you are a blood-bought Jesus follower filled with the Holy Spirit, taming your passions. And this is an unpopular message because nobody wants to tame their passions. When you have a dessert in front of you, you haven't eaten anything all day. It's not the healthiest option for you, but when you're hungry, you'll take anything that will feed you. Jacob and Esau sold his birthright. We see the power of a craving and an appetite, how the enemy can distort it and use it. Here's the good news, last but not least. Homosexuals can be saved like any other sinner. Somebody say amen. amen. 1 Corinthians 6.11 says this, and such were some of you. So there's this long laundry list that Paul is listing 
murderers, fornicators, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, all of these sins. He says, but you used to be like this, remember? And he says, as such were some of you, but you were now washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. This is where I'm telling you, we have to be bold and loving with the truth because Jesus wants to wash us. He wants to sanctify us and justify us today. He wants to wash, sanctify, and justify a generation. But if we are cowards, if we bow to these fears, these ideologies that say if you stand up, you'll lose a position. If you say something, you'll lose a title. You'll lose friends. You'll lose money. You'll lose family. Again, I want to be on the right side of eternity. Jesus even said himself, this is even while you might be saying, well, I don't struggle with this. I don't have any in my, in my family or in my circle that struggle with this. Well, Jesus himself said, remember Lot's wife. Lot, as she was running out of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, something was in her that empathized, that sympathized. It was a pull. It was a draw. It says she turned around toward the city of Sodom and was turned to a pillar of salt. You've got to understand today that this message touches everyone. Don't give in to the cultural pressure. Stand for truth. Again, you don't have to be hateful, but I also understand that truth can sound like hate to those who hate truth. But don't let this shake you. At the end of the day, I love this, that we have to submit our biology to our theology. The way God created your body, Jesus, the scriptures teaches us of how your body is to be used, how it blesses you, how it blesses the Lord, that your body is given away to say, this is how you experience blessing. This is how you walk in the fullness of what your body was created to do, how it reproduces, how it is fruitful, and it multiplies. Philippians 2.13 says that, for it is God who works to you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I'm telling you today, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Take every thought captive and bring it under the obedience of Christ. Don't get caught up in the guilt, the shame, the condemnation. Many Christians, they stop there and they never get in to where the grace and the spirit of God redeems you, delivers you, and changes you at the deepest part of who you are. I'm here today to tell you we will always be a church that believes in getting people to that place for the spirit of God to baptize you, to wash you, to regenerate you, and give you that new name. You know, this is the startling statistics of this because there are deeper traumatic issues usually of what stems into somebody having same-sex attraction or homosexual tendencies. The stats will tell us that 85% of lesbians were seduced or molested by an older parent, an uncle. And 40% of gay men were seduced or molested by an older gay man. So when you walk into this world, you have to understand there is 85% and 40% of the time, a deeper traumatic issue that is caused 
this uh, manifestation of a lifestyle. And so, even if you've experienced some type of abuse or trauma, you've got to bring it to Jesus. You can't stay a victim to that moment and that time. Jesus was a victor for you, so you wouldn't have to remain a victim. When we look at the cross, we don't see a victim hanging there. We see a victor. And I want, I, I feel the presence of the Lord. I want his spirit to touch us at the deepest place of who we are. The day of Christians walking around bound and dead and dry, walking around in shame. The father comes to Adam and Eve in their shame, in their sin. A good father, he says, where are you? They missed their point of fellowship and relationship. Sin had broken that. But Jesus, we thank you that the gospel says today, if we admit our sin, if we confess today, and if we believe that you can make us new, you can wash us in the word. God, I thank you that there is power in the blood today. There is power in the gospel to change us, to take us not just from good to bad, but from dead to alive. We need alive people, not dead people, not just I'm going to grit it and I'm going to be better morally. No, you're missing it. You're going to fail there. You've got to be made alive. But Jesus, let us not be per, per, uh, enslaved to a perpetual immaturity where we don't grow up in you. We don't get taught by you. We don't wrestle with these things. There is an agenda, there is an ideology that is out to take innocence. And on my watch, that's not gonna happen. I love this church too much. I love our students too much, the future of this ministry too much to see the enemy come in without us raising a standard. Today, a standard is raised. God, I thank you that standards are being raised right now. If you bow your head and close your eyes and pray with me. A standard is raised in your families. If you're here today, and you disagree with something I've said, I pray that you go to the scriptures, that you submit your biology to the theology of God's word, because it is supreme, it is inerrant. It is God-breathed for your good. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You love us enough to not hurt us, to try to take something from us, but you want to remove the things that take the image of God, the appetites, the cravings, the lust, the sin. We thank you. We are a clean people. We are a new people when we come to your altar. If you would take the communion elements, I invite you to take communion with me this morning. And as we take communion, if you would go before the Lord and repent of sin, we've all sinned and we've all fallen short. We've all sinned somewhere this week. And this is your time, this is your moment to make it right with Jesus. It's repentance that changes us. It's not feeling bad for ourselves, saying I'm sorry for my sin. It is saying I am turning away. 
I am changing my mind. I am fed up with the sin. And Holy Spirit, here I am. I am available. So Jesus, we take your body. And as we hold your body, the scriptures say it was broken for us. So we take the body as a sign and a symbol and we break it as a, remember, as a reminder. You say to do this in remembrance that we would never forget, that we would never settle and say this perversion or this uh, form of sexuality, it, it's okay. You, you, you turn a blind eye to that. You say, no, look at my body. Look at what I went through for your freedom. If you will abide in me, if you will abandon all and, and get in my word, if you begin to worship, if you get in my presence, you will see the power that is available to you that will set you free. But do you want it? Do you choose it? Will you consistently choose it? And this is a perpetual reminder to us today that his body was not broken in vain. Jesus does not need to be crucified again. It was once and for all, and this freedom is available to all of us. To those in here who are enslaved to pornography, freedom is available to you today. For those of you in here today who struggle with lust, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, freedom is available to you today in the person of Jesus. I'm telling you, you don't have to walk around enslaved to your cravings, your appetites, the lowest version of you, your passions. With Christ, you can tame these passions. You can walk in freedom and deliverance. We take the body of Christ today. Jesus, we now behold, as John said, John 1, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We thank you. You were the perfect Lamb shed for our deliverance, shed for our salvation, shed for our freedom. The blood of Jesus is the most powerful substance we will behold. It saves every and any sinner. Jesus, I pray for those today who don't know you, who are not saved, who have not confessed their sin, who do not believe Jesus is Lord, that they get right with you right now. And it's as simple as confessing right where you're at. Say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Forgive me of my sin. You died in my place. You took what was owed to me and gave me your righteousness. You gave me your life. You gave me connection with the Father. You gave me the opportunity to fight against sin, to not be enslaved, that it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. So Jesus, we lift the cup today and we honor you. We love you. We thank God for you. We take of the blood of Jesus. Jesus, we want to have a deep, radical obedience to you. Your commandments are not heavy. They are not burdensome, but they are life-giving. They are gifts to us. We love you, Lord. I pray for those here today who have friends, family that are homosexual, that they pray for them, fast for them, Give them the word of God. Share truth with them. 
that they don't hate them. They don't stick their nose up at them, but they love them the way the scripture says to love them. Holy Spirit, I pray that as we look even to the future, as we're raising up a generation here, that you would give us power to see homosexual spirits set free. That those bound who come into the the house of God, that they would sense the spirit of God and be drawn into a relationship with Jesus and fight the cravings of the flesh. Jesus, I pray you take everything I've said today, what I've preached, how I communicate it, take it and do with what you will. In Jesus' name, amen. If there's any way, here's where I go into being a pastor. If there's any way that I can meet with you and pray with you, encourage you, uh, speak deeper into something, um, this isn't just an evangelist-style message where I drop something and then you never hear from me again, right? Make a mess and then walk away. But I want to make myself available to pastor anyone into freedom, into deliverance. You can't fit everything in a Sunday morning. But I'm telling you, there's power if you've never received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. If you've never been set free from the carnality of the flesh, there's power available to you today. And I say this out of love for you. Pray you hear my heart today. And even if you don't, the scripture's full of people who continue on rebelling and they go on and the scripture says to shake the dust off their feet. But I'm telling you, I don't wanna shake the dust towards you because I love you and I wanna see you set free and I wanna see our church walk in power against the spirits of this age. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We pray it encouraged, uplifted, and challenged you to become more like Christ. We would love to hear from you. You can email your prayer request to prayer at gpcky.com. Loving our podcast? Take a moment and like and subscribe on our YouTube channel to stay up to date with all of our new content. Thanks for listening.